This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you revived us ultimately in salvation from our sin and from our lostness, Lord. But we thank you that you revive us day by day by day by day, Lord. You strengthen us and you lift us up and you undergird us, Father. And you give us the strength to accomplish what you've called us to accomplish. So we pray, Lord, for this time. Of worship, we pray for this time of study as we continue to worship together in study of your word, Lord. I pray you'd make very clearly to us the truth of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, you'd remove the distractions that keep us from focusing on you. And I pray for the next little while, Lord, we would just understand and see very clearly through our spiritual eyes, Lord, all the things you'd have us to see. Lord, you'd open up the word of life to us and help us to see it as more than just words on a page, but words to live by, words that can change us. And Lord, I pray. That when we leave, we would leave differently than we came, Father. Transform more into the image of your Son. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you're going to do. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Summer is upon us, right? It's already the middle of July. Look at the calendar this week. July is already half gone. Fourth of July just came and went. And I'm looking ahead for me personally. I'm excited. Next few weeks, the Olympics start. Any, any fans? Anybody looking forward to the Olympics? A few of you? Yeah, yeah. The Olympics are interesting to me because we'll cheer for a sport in Olympics that we never cheer for the rest of the year, right? Like, I don't know anything about the javelin or anything about the discus, but I'll cheer for the American guy during the javelin toss, right? Or the di- I'll watch those sports and get excited. And so I was doing a little reading this week about the Olympics, and I came across a man by the name of Simon Whitfield. Now, Simon is a Canadian man, and he, he runs triathlons. And a triathlon, if you don't know, is a swim, and then a bike, and then a run. Now, the Olympic triathlons consist of a 1.5-kilometer swim, that's almost a mile, a 40-kilometer bike ride, that's almost 25 miles, and then a 10-kilometer run, that's 6.2 miles. Now, this guy from Canada has won 10 consecutive Canadian triathlon championships. He won the gold medal in the Olympics of 2000. He won the silver medal in the 2008 Olympics. Now at the age of 37, he'll be competing in the 2012 Games in London here in just a few weeks. So I started reading about his training. I thought, what must this man do to prepare himself to run these triathlons competitively year after year after year? So here's what he does. 5.15 a.m., right? Most of us don't see 5.15 a.m., He gets up and he rides 100 kilometers on his bike. That's 62 miles. When he gets finished running, it's about 7 o'clock by the end. It's late at that point. So he gets off his bike and he starts running. Now for the next two hours with just a few breaks, he runs until about 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock he takes a break. It's breakfast time, right? So he stops and eats. 
after breakfast, he gets in the water and he swims 2.3 miles. Now for me, getting off the diving board to the steps is a long swim, right? I get tired doing that. This guy's swimming 2.3 miles. At that point, it's time for lunch. He takes a break for lunch. After lunch, he runs 22 miles. Now, by that point, it's late in the afternoon. He turns it in for the day, goes to bed, gets up the next morning and does it again. Day after day after day. Week after week, month after month, year after year. This man has been training for years and years and years every day of his life. And I'm reading this regimen, this schedule of training. I'm I'm asking myself the question, why? (laughs) Right? I mean, why is this guy pushing his body to the absolute limits every day of his life? And so I I started thinking about kind of facetious reasons. Maybe he just likes the scenery as he rides the bike, right? Maybe he likes the birds and the trees. He just wants to see things every day. Or maybe he just likes swimming. Maybe he just likes swimming and running and biking. Maybe it's just fun for him. Or maybe he's trying to lose a little weight, right? So he did something a little radical in his life and he's trying to lose weight. We, we laugh at those because we know there's only one reason he does this. He does it because he wants to win. <laughs> and he works every moment of every day of his life in dedication to this one goal, to this one mission, to this one purpose so he can win another gold medal. That's what his life is about. And so I started thinking about these Olympians and their training. And I started thinking about their dedication and I started thinking about our calling in life. I thought about our calling of Generation 1-8 to go to the ends of the earth. And I started asking myself this question, am I as dedicated to this as he is to his training? Do I give up my life to sacrifice Do I have one goal or one mission or one purpose in my life? Am I as dedicated to training as he is? Because what I want to look at this morning, again, Paul's missionary journey that we started talking about the last several weeks, but I want you to understand something very clearly this morning. Paul had one goal. He had one mission. He had one purpose in the first century as he did his mission work. And Paul's mission and Paul's goal in the first century should be exactly the same as our purpose and our goal today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And we started a series several weeks ago at the beginning of the summer studying missionary work in general. And it's led us to this point now at Paul's first missionary journey. So we looked at Acts 1-8, the beginning of the week, the beginning of the sermon series in week one, and we talked about God's call into Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, to the other parts of the earth. We looked at Acts chapter two in the study of Pentecost. We looked last week at a couple weeks ago at Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas calling to go into the mission field. Last week we looked at Acts 13, verses four through 12, as Paul and Barnabas began the missionary journey and the opposition that they faced while on that journey. And today, We're going to look at Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. And I want you to understand something before we read this text. I believe this study this week, this portion of Acts chapter 13, represents kind of the heart and soul of who Paul was. I think it represents for us very clearly the foundation. It represents for us the goal and the purpose and the calling in Paul's life as he goes into the world to share Christ. And I want to look at that this morning. Acts chapter 13 Beginning in verse 13. 
from Patphos. Now, that's on the island of Cyprus. We talked about that last week. We're going to look at a map here in just a minute. From Patphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga while in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. Now, we've got a map for you. If we can pop that map up, we're going to look at exactly what Paul's doing here. Last week, we saw he went from Antioch to Salamis to Patphos. That's on the island of Cyprus. This week, he's going to sail north to Perga, eventually to Pisidia, Antioch. Now, if you want to put this in modern context, in in modern-day geography, Paul, at this point, in Perga and Pisidia, Antioch, that's modern-day Turkey. Now, I had the opportunity last summer to go to Ephesus. If you look at the kind of the top left corner, you see the word Asia. Down below that to the left, you see Lydia. Right below that, you see Ephesus. See it? There's the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus today doesn't exist as a commercial city. It's a city of ruins. So you literally walk around and look at the ruins. But if you wanted to see Paul's missionary journey, a good portion of the missionary journey, if you wanted to see all seven churches of the book of Revelation, they're all in Turkey. So you could go to modern-day Turkey and spend a lot of weeks seeing sightseeing and touring around and seeing exactly where Paul went and where Paul preached to in a lot of the cities listed in the book of Revelation. But this is where Paul is. This is where Paul and Barnabas have sailed to. So now let's pick up in verse 15. After the reading from the law. Now remember, Paul is in the synagogue. At this point, it's on the Sabbath. We're in verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers... If you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and he said, Men of Israel and Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Now here's what Paul's going to do for the next several verses. I want you to listen. This is important. Paul is going to lay out for us God's plan throughout history of redeeming sinners back to himself. That's the plan. Paul is going to lay out God's plan throughout history of redeeming sinners back to himself. And here it is in verse 17. This is Paul still speaking. He says, The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers, and he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. Verse 18. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Now, after this... God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. Now verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now let's stop there just for a few minutes. Because what we've seen, and we're going to walk through this process here in just a minute, is that Paul has dedicated his life to one purpose. Paul has dedicated his life to one purpose, to one mission, to one goal, to one task. It's sharing Jesus Christ with the world. And so in order to accomplish this, Paul goes on the first missionary journey that we're studying. He'll go on two additional missionary journeys. Paul will preach every time he gets the opportunity. Paul will literally write the majority of the New Testament. So Paul's mission in his life is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Paul's mission of the first century to preach the gospel is the same mission we have today. Paul's call to reach and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the first century is the same calling we have today. 
And so we get a real interesting picture here. We get for the first time a sermon that Paul has preached. We get the full version of his sermon that he preaches. But it's not just a sermon he preaches to any group. It's a sermon he preaches to a group of people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And so I want to walk through this this morning for a few minutes. And I want you to understand exactly how he shared with those that had never heard. Here's the first thing Paul does. Number one, Paul gives these people God's plan for salvation. That's number one. Paul gives these people God's plan for salvation. Here's the way he does it. He lays out for them from eternity past God's plan to redeem the world unto himself. And so Paul says, here's what God has done. God has brought his people out of captivity. God has led his people into the promised land. God has given them a king in Saul. God has eventually given them a king in David. God has had a plan from eternity past to redeem or to buy back sinful people to himself. Now, if we wanted to summarize the story of the Bible, we could do it like this. Very simply, here it is. God created everything good. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 3, we sin. The rest of the Bible is God's story buying us back. That's it. God created everything good. We sin. And the rest of the Bible is God's plan of salvation for us. See, here's what we have to understand. It's not as if Jesus just occurred one day to God on the scene. He said, you know what? I think maybe I better send Jesus. It's not as if God woke up one day and said, I'm not quite sure. Yes, yes, I got it. I'm going to send Jesus. See, when we study Scripture and we understand what Paul's saying here, we see that from eternity past, God had a plan. Now, maybe some of you guys have been to the movies this summer. Maybe you've seen a movie. Maybe they've been good. Maybe they've been bad. Maybe you've seen movies in the past. But here's the interesting thing about a movie. When you sit down and watch a movie, you watch the movie and the video and the music and the words, and you kind of get engrossed in the story, and you sit there for a couple hours and watch the movie with enjoyment, hopefully. But here's what most people don't understand about a movie. A movie, a video, is actually thousands and thousands of individual photographs. So when you watch a video, every second you watch a video, there are literally 29 individual pictures in that one second. There are 29 frames. So every second you're looking at 29 individual pictures. So after two seconds, you've looked at almost 60. After three seconds, you've looked at almost 90. And as it rolls by that fast, your brain puts it together and it looks like motion. It looks like movement. It's actually just a bunch of still pictures put together. So if you were to pause at home if you're watching a movie... Or you could pause the movie in the theater, you would see one still picture. Now here's the problem with a still picture. You can't understand what the movie's about with just one picture, can you? (laughs) You could sit there for a while and you could look at it and discuss with your friend maybe what this means or what it's about. But in that one picture, you can't really understand what the movie's about, can you? But as soon as you push play and those pictures begin to roll by 29 a second, After one second, and two, and five, and ten, and twenty, and a minute, and five minutes, and ten minutes, after you begin to watch that movie, all those images put together, you begin to see this picture. And you begin to get an understanding of what this movie is about. The scripture is just like this. See, we we take individual stories of scripture, and we pull them out, and we study them, and, and we certainly can learn from them. But when we begin to put one story after another after another, and one picture on top of another, when we begin to back up and we begin to look at Scripture as a whole, we get this beautiful picture of who God is. We get this beautiful picture of all God has accomplished. 
And we see how he's built one story on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, from centuries and centuries past, one on top of another, and it indicates for us God's plan. It's not as if God didn't know what was going to happen. He knew from eternity past exactly what he was going to do to buy his people back from sinfulness back to himself. Now, we can spend a lot of time in the Old Testament talking through these, but but I want to give you a couple of quick examples. Genesis chapter 3. God has created everything good in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 3, man has fallen. Sin has entered the world. And listen to what God says as he's speaking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you, that's Satan, and the woman, that's Eve. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis chapter 3, we already see an, 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 an illustration here, a picture of Christ. A picture of the, the, the battle that Christ and the devil are going to fight and how ultimately Christ will win. He will crush the head of Satan. God says, I'm going to put enmity, devil, between you and the seed of the woman. That's Christ. You're going to nip at his heel and he's going to crush your head. From Genesis chapter 3, God had a plan. Isn't that beautiful? Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, God's speaking to Abram. Here's what he says. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen... All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God's plan. God's plan from eternity past to redeem his people back to himself. Exodus chapter 6 verse 6. The Lord is speaking to Moses. Here's what he says. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will return, excuse me, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of of judgment. God has got a plan. He's seen this plan manifest in the garden and he sees this plan on through the Exodus. He sees this plan in Saul and he sees this plan in King David looking ahead to who Christ was going to be. We could talk about the prophecies. We could talk about Isaiah 53 and all the ways that God has looked ahead to the Messiah and the plan from eternity past. But here's the bottom line. God from the beginning has interwoven through the history of the world his plan To redeem us. And here's the most amazing part. He wants you to be a part of it. Do you understand that? Do you comprehend that? God from eternity past had a plan of salvation for the world. And he has called you as a believer to be a part of his plan. But see, here's the problem we have in our world. We kind of want to do our own plan, don't we? We say something like this. God, I got this. I got it. Lord, you, you do your deal in heaven, Lord, and I'm going to talk to you. I'll give you Sunday morning. I'll give you a few hours on Sunday morning. If I'm feeling, feeling real spiritual, I'll give you Wednesday night, right? And then occasionally through the week, I'll, I'll spend a few minutes in prayer, God. But other than that, I got it. I got it, Lord. I got my to-do list. I've got my schedule. I've got my plan, Lord. I, I'm going to do this my way. We had the opportunity several weeks ago to take our kids to Six Flags. Now, I learned one thing very quickly at Six Flags. It was this. I'm not quite as young as I used to be. So I got off the roller coasters that I used to get off just cheering, and I get off like this this time. I'm like, wow, what happened? You know, the world wasn't spinning when I got on the roller coaster. Now it's spinning. So we rode all these rides and had a great time with our kids. But probably my most favorite ride that wasn't a roller coaster were the little cars that you drive. You know the little cars? You know what I'm talking about? The little old-timey cars. And I loved it for several reasons. But the main reason I loved it is I let my little daughter, Abby, drive. 
Now, you put an eight-year-old kid behind a steering wheel of a car for the first time, and they are, man, she was intense. Eyes as big as saucers. She's leaning up on that wheel, man. She's paying attention, right, because she's driving a car. Now, what Abby didn't know is as you drive the car, there's this metal rail between the wheels, and you can't stray too far, right? I mean, you're going to kind of make it around the track. The kind of ride you have depends on the driver. And so here's, here's your two options. If you've got a driver that can kind of keep it straight and narrow and keep the wheels from banging against that piece of metal, it's a pretty smooth ride. If you've got an eight-year-old girl who's never driven before, here's what your ride's like. Bang, bang, bang. She, I mean, literally, she couldn't keep it straight, so she'd hit one of those things. that it, the, the force of hitting it would knock us back, and we'd drift, and boom, we'd hit the other, and the force would knock us back. So for like 10 minutes, we're just banging back and forth. I'm like, Abby, can you get it? You know, can you calm that? She's doing the best she can. She's trying to steer this thing. Now, ultimately, we made it back around, but it was a pretty bumpy ride. I think sometimes our life in Christ is like that. See, Christ says from, from the beginning, I've got a plan, and I want you to be part of it. And ultimately, th- that plan is going to be fulfilled. You're going to ultimately get where I want you to go, but the way you get there determines by, is determined by the way you drive the car, whether you let me be a part of it, or you kind of do it yourself. See, if we just kind of let God take over and we'll seek God and try to do everything he's called us to do. That ride can be pretty smooth. And even when we hit the bumps in the road, he's there with us. But when we try to take that wheel ourselves and, God, we've got our own plan. Man, boom, we're going to hit those rails. Boom, we're going to hit those rails. Boom, we're going to hit those rails. God says, I've got a plan. I want you to be a part of it. And Paul makes it very clear in this sermon. There's only one way to peace. There's only one way to true joy. There's, there's only one way to have hope in life. And it's through Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for salvation from eternity past. Now look at verse 36, 26, 26. Acts chapter 13, verse 26. Listen to what Paul says next. Brothers, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Now, hold this on the screen just for a second if you would. I want to point something out. Look at what he says. Paul says, brothers, children of Abraham. Remember, Paul was a Jew. So he's speaking to the children of Abraham. He's speaking to the other Jewish people as brothers. Brothers, I'm talking to you, the Jewish people. And, you see that? And you God-fearing Gentiles. So Paul says, I'm speaking to my brothers, the Jewish people. At the same time, I'm speaking to these God-fearing Gentiles. Now, if you don't know this, a Gentile is basically a non-Jew. So Paul says, I'm speaking to my brothers that are Jews And I'm speaking to the non-Jews, these are the Gentiles, it's to us, right, that this message of salvation has been sent. Paul says, whether you're a Jew or you're anybody else, this message of salvation is for you. So see, we see God's plan in salvation. Number two, what I want you to see, is God's call to salvation. We've seen God's plan in salvation, now we want to see God's call to salvation. And Paul says this call extends to everybody. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, the message of salvation is for all people. Now we see this all through the Bible. So an example would be Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what kind of background you have. It doesn't matter what language you speak. The message of salvation, the call of salvation is given to all men. But I want you to notice what Paul does here. He does something very interesting. 
Remember, Paul's speaking to a group of people that don't know who Christ is. Paul's speaking to a group of people that have never heard the name of Jesus. And so Paul's got to help them understand exactly who Christ is. Paul's got to help them understand exactly the power of Jesus Christ and to prove to these people that he's really the Messiah. So Paul's going to take the death, burial, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ to prove to these people that Jesus is who he says he is. So look in verse 27. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 13 says this, The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried him out, all, excuse me, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. Now you say, why, why would Paul mention that they laid him in a tomb? Because he wants to explain to these people that Christ was dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He didn't pass out. He died. Now we glaze over that point an awful lot, don't we? We just kind of blow right through that. But I want to let that soak in just for a second. Jesus Christ came to earth. He willingly walked to Calvary for you and for me. He willingly crucified, allowed these people to crucify him on the cross, and he died. Now Paul's words in verse 29, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb, resonate with us, especially when we read verse 30. Look what Paul says, but God raised him from the dead. Boy, that's powerful. Paul says, you can be sure that this man is who he says he is. Why? Because he was dead He was buried in a tomb, and God raised him from the dead. Verse 31, And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Paul says the proof of Christ, the proof of who he is, is found in the resurrection from the dead of Jesus No other event in the history of the world has impacted people like the resurrection. It is literally the defining moment of human existence. And what you do with the resurrection, what you do with Christ will determine not only the way you live your life now, but the way you'll spend eternity. And it's so important to understand his death, burial, and resurrection that we see it all through the book of Acts. So we see examples in Acts chapter 2. Verse 23 and 24, Jesus was crucified and buried, but God raised him from the dead. Acts 3, 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree over and over and over again throughout the New Testament and throughout the book of Acts. We see the emphasis on the resurrection of Christ. Paul says, I've shown you the proof that he was the Messiah. I've shown you God's plan from eternity past. I've shown you God's call. It extends to all men. And we know it's true because Christ is who he says he is because he was killed and rose from the dead. But the third thing I want you to see this morning. Not only do we see God's plan, not only do we see God's call, but thirdly, and this is probably the most important, we see, number three, God's forgiveness in salvation. God's plan in salvation, God's call to salvation, and thirdly, God's forgiveness in salvation. Look at verse 38. 
Acts chapter 13, verse 38, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Now here's what I want you to see about this. As we think about God's plan and His call and His forgiveness, the ultimate purpose for God's missionary journey was to share Christ. Now we're going to do a lot of things over the next many years. And I'm becoming more and more convinced as a pastor of this church that God is going to just blow our minds with missions. <laughs> and I tell you that because I probably know some things you don't know about what's going on in people's hearts and some things that people have shared with me. And I just get this over and over. I had this, I had this conversation last week. People say this to me. I can't really explain it, but I have to go. It's not that I want to go. It's not that I'm debating whether I should go. It's not that I'm not really sure. I have to go. That's what I hear over and over. So I believe over the next many years, God's going to do some incredible things through our church in mission work. I think we're going to go do incredible things in Guatemala. I think we're going to do incredible things in Africa, probably Southeast Asia. We're going to do medical work. We're going to help these people get medicines that they don't have the ability to get on a regular basis. We're going to go in and do construction work. We're going to build houses in Guatemala. Ultimately, we may build a church or a school or an orphanage. I don't know what God's going to do. We're going to do construction work. We're going to do VBS we're going to minister to these children. We're going to help these children. They can't afford supplies to go to school. We're going to give them supplies so they can get an education. We're going to do so many things that are so desperately needed. We've had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks to email back and forth with a pastor from the church in Guatemala. We're going to go to in the little bitty village. He doesn't live in the village. He kind of commutes. But here's how he describes this village in his own words. He says, the living conditions are deplorable. Many of the houses are not fit for human use. There are no sanitation facilities. They wash their clothes in the river, bathe in the river, do other things in the river, you can imagine. There's virtually no hygiene or nutrition. There is great need. Now, we're going to go and we're going to help these people as much as we can, but I want you to understand something. If we go to that village and build a house for every person in that village and fail to share the gospel, we've missed our calling. If we go and take life-saving supplies to these people and medicines to these people, they can't get other any other time of the year. If we do that and fail to share the gospel, we've missed our calling. See, if we go into these villages and do all these things and don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've lost sight of why we're even going. Paul's purpose, Paul's goal, Paul's mission ultimately was to share Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly as we go into these villages. We're going to share Christ with these people. We're going to share Jesus Christ with these people. We're going to explain to them God's plan and God's call and God's forgiveness. But I want you personally to understand something. I want you personally to make sure you've got it right. I want you to listen to John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You say, how do I receive this salvation, Adam? You repent of your sins and you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's that simple. John 3.16, we all heard it before, but I'm going to read it again this morning. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now look what's not required of you. It's not required of you that you work harder for salvation. You can't work for your salvation. It's not required that you give more or that you live in a certain place or that you drive a certain car or that you have a certain job or a certain social status or a certain amount of wealth or a certain amount of possessions. All that's required of you is that you believe. A scholar said it like this. I love this quote. He said, The greatest gift of God is conferred not upon the deserving or upon the fortunate, but upon the believing. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I don't want to miss the opportunity this morning. I bet there's somebody in this room that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want you to make sure you get it right. Because we're called to go into the lost and dying world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what? You need to get it straight in your own heart first. You need to be sure that you've accepted this salvation through Jesus Christ and that you're assured eternal life. Because the way that you answer that question is not only going to affect the way you live your life now, it's going to affect your life for eternity. Now, Paul's goal was to share Christ. And so he gave a plan for salvation. He gave a call to salvation. He gave a forgiveness in salvation. Explained exactly who Christ was. He traveled to the ends of the earth to share his faith. That was Paul's calling then. And I want you to understand something. As believers, that's still our calling today. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Father, for this teaching. It's, it's a teaching, Father, that sometimes we forget about, Lord. We think about so many things and we're so used to hearing the name of Christ that we just forget about how we're justified and forgiven of our sins because of what he accomplished on the cross. So remind us, Lord. Father, I want to pray right now specifically if there's somebody in this congregation that's never accepted you, Lord, if they've never repented of their sins, if they never come to you, Father, asking you to save their souls, Lord, I pray this would be the time they do it. As you're speaking to someone right now, Father, you make it very clear to them who you are. Lord, I pray for this congregation as we move forward in mission work to do all the things you've called us to do. Give us the boldness and the strength and the ability and the desire to accomplish all you've called us to do. And we're going to give you praise and honor and glory, Father. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you just a few minutes. If you want to come and pray about your calling and missions, about what God is calling you to do. Maybe you need to accept Jesus in your life. Maybe you've never been faced with your sins. Maybe you've never repented of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to join this church, but this is your time right now as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.